if you're creating a new capability, try to to basically state of the art model and essentially assume that it's within a year or so it's going to be 10x better if it's an end to end kind of learning based architecture and there's a lot of data so like have that kind of preemptive understanding and bet because uh, the exponentials and the scaling factors with these things if it's correctly configured can be quite dramatic so you might just pigeonhole yourself in too early if you have like a lack of clarity Hey everybody, Tanner here with Wagme Ventures. On today's episode, we have Tejas Kulkarni, co-founder and CEO at Common Sense Machines. For anyone who's new, this is the Wagme Ventures podcast where we do snapshots with interesting builders, founders, and investors from across Web3. Check out wagmeventures.io to learn more about the syndicate behind the podcast. But for now, let's get into it with Tejas at CSM. All right. What's up, everybody? This is the Wagme Ventures podcast. I'm Tanner, and I'm here today with Tejas Kulkarni, co-founder and CEO at Common Sense Machines. Tejas, what's up? How are you doing today? Hey, Tanner. Uh, doing pretty well, actually. Thank you so much for inviting me on this podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It's going to be really interesting, and I, I'm really pumped to learn more about CSM. So here to start, let's just maybe jump in, because you. I'm super curious about your background here, because you. it seems like you kind of hail from the academic and research side of the AI world. And so I I'd love to just hear a little bit about your story and kind of what brought you to launching CSM. Yeah. So I think the the genesis, the beginnings of CSM go back to almost a decade. So in 2012, that's the starting point. So in, around basically 2010, right after my undergrad, I actually spent a couple of years at Qualcomm Research. And I was, we were trying to basically work on these spike, spiking neural nets. And I was part of this team in Qualcomm Research who were looking at that. Back then, neural nets didn't really work. As, as well as they do now. And I think uh, that was kind of an impetus, but I was very interested in how the brain worked and how, you know, you could, from the brain, the mind emerges. So I think it made sense for me to actually go from, from industry to academia because it was very early days back then. And 2012 is when I actually went to MIT. I was in the brain, brain and coxide department and also the AI lab. So it, it was during that time with Josh Tenenbaum and a lot of the other collaborators that we started thinking about how do you build generative models? So, you know, right now you have these generative models that can generate images, videos, 3D models now. And I think, you know, people in cognitive science, they were also thinking about how the brain might be doing reasoning and doing Bayesian inference. And I think that it was during that time also that, you know, in 2012, AlexNet uh, and neural nets really started working. So it was a very kind of many things uh, uh, were happening and beginning at that time. And I, I just happened to be in, uh, to like start grad school at, at, the, at the same time. So it was a productive uh, and fast kind of few years, I think, uh, at that time. And, you know, we started off, I think a lot of my early work was on generating uh, images, but also uh, using neural nets and other methods to do inverse graphics, uh, which is to, you know, graphics is about like going from 3D to 2D. Uh, but, you know, inverse the inverse process of that is to go from 2D back into decompiling the rendering engine. So there was work around trying to bridge that gap. And then after a few years at MIT, I spent, after completing my PhD, I spent several years at DeepMind in London. And I think at that point, generative models was one of the key focus areas there as well. But I also ended up working a lot on deep reinforcement learning. So agents that could actually operate in these 3D environments. Uh, back then, they were not being generated at all. Um, they're still not generated, I think, uh, by AI systems. A lot of the virtual environments are manual, uh, but it was during that time that I saw that, you know, um, uh, in 2020, basically, I started realizing that, you know, I, AI was accelerating. These generative models were accelerating. It's certainly LLMs early. There was early signs that they were going super well. Those big GAN and uh, a lot of those models that were performing 
better and diffusion models came after that. So it, it, it started becoming obvious that these models are going to scale up. And the second obvious thing uh, that uh, I realized, I think while being at DeepMind is, is that deep reinforcement learning, if you had a virtual environment, then you could have an AI system that can master it. It can play Go, it can play uh, chess, it can do lots of very complicated things in 3D environments. But the creation of the environment or the world model was still manual. So that was kind of, you know, the, and the third thing that was happening is there was a, there seemed to be like early news of AR. I guess it took 2024 until Vision Pro, but there was MetaQuest. So there was like early activity in terms of like uh, alternative devices uh, for 3D. Uh, gaming was obviously like, you know, has been like a huge market. So there was a, mar- uh, there was, and GPUs were becoming quite large as well. So in 2020, all these things like felt like they were all coming together. So we decided to start CSM. And I think the goal uh, for CSM has been to create these 3D worlds and give them common sense, make them alive and, you know, have characters and objects that that operate in the same way that humans do. Amazing. Okay. So let's talk about CSM in a little bit, a little bit more detail here. You know, maybe just to start, can you kind of in its totality describe like what is CSM creating? What does it enable and, and kind of who is it enabling things for? Yeah. So one of the 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 key kind of you know uh, the user base right now is like you know people who are 3d artists or gamers or people who are creating 3d objects or people who are doing product design anyone who's like you know taking an idea they might have some reference pictures some they might also have some sketches so you might be ideating a new game object you might or for an animated film or you might be doing it for a new completely new product that you are designing the act of going from idea to even a simple prototype can take weeks, right? And from prototype, once you select that, then it can take like months and uh, a longer time to, to get to production. So I think where we started off is the first part of that. So, so you know, you might actually input a, a sketch into, you might input a sketch with some text, with um, images, all of those things go into our, our system. And the AI basically generates a 3D asset that is game engine ready with all the right kind of the constraints on top of it. And I think there are a couple of use cases for this. So one is like to do blockouts, prototyping, getting to the end point and trying lots and lots of ideas to get inspired and then choosing which one to productionize. Or in some cases, actually, in for lower fidelity environments, it might actually be good enough and it's getting good enough for, for it to be used directly. So I think, you know, 3D artists, studios and enterprises who a lot of them actually have the same repeatable workflow. So we are going after that. And what you're going to see happen in the product is almost like think about like blender right blender or any of these design tools or game engines they are driven by these software interfaces that require a lot of manual they were made for like you know heavy workflows experts uh, who actually understand everything and i don't think those tools are going to go away anywhere but uh, even for for anyone to really even create a simple donut in blender i don't know if uh, if you've ever tried to do that uh, but it's it's very difficult. I mean, I think it's very difficult to create anything in 3D. Uh, that's why the amount of content on 3D in on the internet is like so small. So uh, th- all these tools are like very cumbersome. So what we're building is almost like a this neural network learning based engine that you can that that is plugged into the browser, the game engine, and other devices also like your iPhone and stuff like that is also coming eventually. Vision Pro also when it comes. And it interacts with this learning system that where the user interface and the UX is completely changed now. So instead of doing like, you know, thousands of actions for like days to create a simple thing, you can talk to it, write some text, you feed it some images, you doodle a little bit, and then you get a good enough starting point that you can then take into your upstream workflows. 
so that's that's really that's really our core starting point for for this product which we call as cube c u b e and then we are actually adding a lot of things on top of it so things like you know the assets are soon going to be animated bodies are going to move faces are going to move they're going to uh, start having goal directed actions and things like that man super cool okay Awesome. Hey, everybody, quick thing here. We're excited to announce Wagney Advisory, your home for all things fundraising, hiring, and partnerships. This is all about supercharging your project with the Wagney Network, consisting of over 20,000 executives, investors, and builders in crypto, all ready to come alongside your project to help it succeed. Get in touch at team at wagneyventures.io to learn more and figure out if Wagney Advisory is the right fit for your project. Now, let's get back to the show. So I'm always curious about sort of second order effects you know, rippling out from from new technology. And so I, I think one question I might have early on would be, you know, you mentioned a gaming context, sort of an entertainment context. I'm curious, how do how do these environments or maybe even other contexts you haven't mentioned so far, uh, how do those change? What happens when CSM is, is a little more widely adopted or, or say, you know, broadly adopted as an industry standard? What can people expect might look differently from a consumption standpoint? Or how, how do you think about these things? Yeah, I think maybe we can, I mean, there are a few focus areas we can go to, but I think maybe uh, because you mentioned gaming, I think maybe we can ground the discussion to that and talk about other things. But if you look yeah. at gaming, I think, you know, one thing that, that are just like first principles, things that are not going to change, I think it's useful to kind of uh, look at those. And I think uh, a few of those are that, you know, ga- the the players are not going to spend more money on games, right? That's, they want to play a lot more games, but they're not going to spend a lot more money on it. So you have to give like microtransactions are important for them to generate their own assets is super important. That's why there's like a whole UGC movement. And I think the second thing is you basically for the the the, the designers and the creative teams, right? So take like the biggest AAA title like GTA, the next GTA, it took like almost a decade, right? To make. So it, it takes a lot of time. It's almost like an Apollo mission to get a project like that on the ground. But at the end of the day, it's basically a bunch of bits, right? Uh, but it's very cumbersome for people and designers to actually take those ideas and turn them into reality. And a large part, there's a lot of components to designing some some game like this. And it happens also at the AA level and indie level and you know in gaming. So the same problems occur everywhere where it just takes a lot of time, money, and just pain, I think, to create the the, the content. So... Content is like sometimes more than like fifty percent of the the budgeting resources, time, uh, and also the pain in in a lot of these processes. Uh, so what will happen, I think, uh, pretty soon with these generative models is that you're going to start seeing a lot more rapid iteration cycles for getting the initial idea. Uh, so you know, if you have a new, if you're designing a new uh, character or a prop, then just like spending a, a a little bit of time and then waiting like an hour or two and then seeing how it's going to look like. And then proceeding to the production. So the prototyping phase is going to get compressed quite a bit. And as the geometry gets uh, better and the topology and the UV maps get better, uh, what you're going to start seeing is that it uh, will also uh, feed into the production pipeline. So the right now it's an entirely market, basically, right? Like all of the, all of the, 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 the creation of these assets uh, and upstream things is all looks like manual, manual. It's all manual, basically. So what you're going to see is that that's going to move to the cloud. So you're going to start seeing like, you know, a labor to cloud type of a model shift. And that's going to accelerate a lot of the teams. And I think it's going to actually inspire the the, the people to do things that uh, are actually humanly creative and enjoyable, I think. Because a lot of like moving around vertices is not any, it's not something that anyone wants to do. Right. I think they, wanna, they really want to like focus on things where their humanity is respected. <laughs> 
So I think I'm excited about both those possibilities. I think is making sure that the enterprises can pump out more content and also the actual artists, they their more creativity is more is what gets amplified. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's a great that's a great vision of where things could go. So you know, I'm really curious. It's kind of a bit of a recurring question on this podcast, but I'm always curious about early challenges in the life of a given venture because nothing is smooth, right? If it was easy, probably would have been done already, right? So I'm curious if you could maybe talk a little bit about one or two early challenges, CSM, and and how did your team think about solving for those? Yeah. So I think we went through like a like a truly chaotic creative process, I, I, I would say. I think... Uh, we did have a lot of like intense, interesting events that happened to us starting. I think when we actually formed the company, this was in mid-2020. So this was when COVID had just started, right? So you basically, we, we kind of closed around right in the middle of it. <laughs> People thought that everything was gone. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's dead. That's an intense so, time to start a company. <laughs> very intense time. Half of our investors were unsure. The ones that I was talking to, half of, but they all ended up kind of supporting us, the ones that 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 we were talking to i think but it was a very intense time i think so we started with intensity and high 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 uncertainty so it kind of like actually put us in a very good spot i would say because everything that happened from there i think we were prepared in some sense for the worst 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 case scenario but then i think on a more kind of company building side we so i think i would say the biggest learning exercises that i that i have and i think this is probably a, a Probably would have known then, but I'm, it's not clear to me. So, so when we started, we obviously had to build a new technology, right? So we are we came from the AI background and was very excited about like building some new capability and putting it into the market. So, but I think you know there are multiple ways to go about that. Like when you when we started in tw- in twenty even in twenty twenty one, three D was like non existent almost, right? So the technology was like very nascent. It didn't really work as well. It's only beginning to work like last year. So what? What we struggled with is like we actually had a sales-driven motion, so we were talking to a lot of different companies, and we actually also did like custom projects to build the product out. But then we had to switch that actually, uh, almost like a year, year and a half ago, where it was it was coming to a point where I, I felt like we had a more general product, but we had not widely launched to everyone because the capabilities had still not crossed a certain threshold. So we couldn't really do a product-led growth path, right? Uh, like it. Like that's what I wanted to build the the company uh, towards, but there wasn't really an avenue. But I think that changed in 2023 where things just suddenly started working from a technical standpoint. And we had a very general product that many people could actually just use. And and then suddenly, you know, when we launched, I think there was just a raw organics. People just found found out about it. The Discord community just grew by itself. A lot of the web traffic, it just keeps happening organically. Everything is like inbound driven. Most of the, the, even the enterprise think enterprises we talk to now they are they have been inbound driven so i think that plg like the switch from sales driven to plg was a huge was a huge blip where the company easily could have died i think because there was a period in between where it's like okay we want to really want to do this plg thing but we don't really know whether it's going to take off and i think that that was a but i think we just made a bet at one point that let's just kind of trust in the scaling that these learning systems are going to get better and let's just go all in basically and and now we're coming back to sales driven in a better way because now we have a product and we don't have to do these custom things and it's actually much more streamlined. So that was, I would say that was the biggest challenge and yeah. easy, easy event for the company to die for sure. Yeah. I mean, fascinating way of looking at it where it was kind of a bet on the technology's evolution and, you know, I imagine that was, that was a bit of a difficult thing to just I don't know if emotionally is the right word, but just kind of hang in there, right? Keep yes. doing the work, keep showing up and and yes. keep morale. 
as things continue to progress. It's really, really interesting and, and pretty cool. So, you know, one last question here, maybe about CSM, and then I'd, I'd love to get your broader take on sort of the space more more generally. But you know, I'm always curious with with such a technical type of product. I'm I'm curious how do you how did you think about and how do you think about creating the right team to pull off such an interesting vision? Yeah, I think that's a very good question, and I think there are a couple of lessons that are very important lessons I learned, especially at DeepMind and also at MIT a little bit. But I think you know MIT was still a long time ago. I think DeepMind really was like a a good lesson where we had like infinite compute budgets, more or less, and the smartest people in the world. And I think so. One thing that I kind of noticed in that, and uh, it, this has been true with CSM, is that once so there are always like areas that you know, if you have like you know, if you're a computer graphics person, typically you don't really talk to the 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 neural network people that are doing uh, radiance fields. Although there's a lot more uh, cross collaboration happening now, but they, those people don't really talk to you know, the the hardcore deep learning people, right? That are that are about the scaling hypothesis. So I think there are these communities of people, right? That I think back during the DeepMind days, I think one of the things that they did really well is they brought the deep learning community and the reinforcement learning community together. And DeepRL was born out of that. And that was the story of the story in the last decade of, of uh, DeepMind. And I think that kind of stuck with me because here there are a few disparate areas that we also had to bring together. So the way we designed the team, and I still think like that, the product team, I think about it differently, but I think about like, you don't want to have a lot of people actually, unless you, you do, because it kind of creates uh, all sorts of issues, but you want to have a small group of people where each one or two people, they come from a different area and we go at one one or two projects with like very strong evaluation metrics and then pure conviction that uh, these neural nets, we can get them to work. I think that's that's one conviction. And if you just kind of set that and have, have clarity on those things. I think something gets created. So that that's kind of a recipe for it. Um, to, and you 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 got to choose like some of the best people. I think in in some of these sub areas, you don't need a lot of them. You need like a small group of them. I think the the answer with the product team is slightly different. But I think you were talking about the technical team. So that that's that's at the highest level. Uh, how I think yeah. about it. Yeah, super helpful. Okay, so let's talk about the AI space a little more broadly here with the time we've got. So. You know, I'm curious for folks who may be a little bit more for this podcast, like a little bit more crypto native than AI native, what should that type of audience know about the frontier of artificial intelligence these days from your perspective? Yeah. So I guess one thing, one thing to know is like, you know, the only reason why I left DeepMind is because I thought that AGI was like very eminent, I think. And definition of AGI is like there's lots of ways to define it, but we could say most of the cognitive tasks that uh, humans can do, I think virtually and then physically, obviously. So it feels to me like, you know, we don't have the physical thing at all, Like, but a lot of the virtual things are not the deep tasks. I mean, not the very deep reasoning tasks, but in many different modalities, we're beginning to see like shallow, at the shallow level, AI making an entry point. And that's how it's going to start. So I think the crypto people are very good at like mobilizing resources. So one strong point of conviction that I do have is that it's AGI is not actually that close, but it's pretty close. <laughs> so, so what what I would prepare for is like to think about like you know it's not going to happen in two three years, but if you talk about like you know in the early twenty thirties, it's 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 likely it's likely true. And I think you know there are probably a couple of different ways to go about it. I think one way to go about it is to build generative models that are multimodal, and you know go from there. And I think there, if you want to be on the AGI path, I think LLMs is probably not a good idea to do because those are those are going to be owned by the large cloud providers. A lot of the foundation model 
layers, I guess in quotes, foundation model means a lot of things, but the, so those are going to be owned by the cloud native people. But I think the actual frontier of uh, how to take those models and go to new modalities, I think that's a very good path to take on. Like, for example, in our case, it's like game engines is a, it's not something that big tech really looks at, right? But we can Mm -hmm. use a lot of those insights from all those companies and work with cloud companies and other open AI and whoever else. But there's a lot of deep workflow here. That is maybe like gaming gaming companies look at, but it's going to be hard for them to create all of this by themselves. So I think there are a lot of modalities like that. So that's one good way to be on a product path, but go towards the AGI direction. And probably the other other direction is to build like robotics, humanoids. That's the other one. Super interesting. Okay. So I'm curious if you could maybe impart some advice to yourself at the beginning of your founder journey, I'm curious, what would you maybe say to yourself from your kind of wiser self now that might be useful to others in kind of a generalizable way? Yeah, I would own the distribution of the product. Like I would make sure that distribution, like you own the customer, like you own how customers find you and uh, reach to you because that just creates an organic engine. And I, I didn't take that seriously. From day zero, I could have easily taken that seriously and we would have been in a, we would have accelerated, I think. So definitely make sure that unless you're building a B2B uh, business, but even if you are building a B2B business, like take like one DBO or sell like some of the very successful companies that do both. I think you want to have an organic engine and you want some ways for people to find you, I think. So, so I think that's the most important thing. I think the second thing is uh, it's, I would definitely if if you know i think if you're creating a new capability try to try to basically take the best state of the art model and essentially assume that it's within a year or so it's going to be 10x better right if it's a neural if it's an end to end kind of learning based architecture and there's a lot of data so like have that kind of preemptive understanding and bet because the exponentials and the scaling factors with these things if it's correctly configured can be quite dramatic. So you might just pigeonhole yourself in too early if you don't have like a lack of, if you have like a lack of clarity on this. So these two things I would say, I would, I would distribution and then, you know, very clear understanding on the scaling, the scaling laws of the technology. Very cool. Okay. Tejas, one, maybe one last question here or two last questions really. You know, first question would be, what is your team working on right now? And then next, what is the best way for people to follow along on the journey? Yeah. So right now, basically, you know, we have like pretty good assets. I think soon you're going to see like way better ones. It's going to be like dramatically faster, better. So I think, you know, that, that, that you can, that, that's one of the things that the team is working on, but maybe, maybe like, you know, something that, you know, is, is going to be enabled, I think by what we're doing is like, it's kind of in our name, I think common sense machines, right? If you. Think about like why we named the company that in the first place. It's actually to build virtual machines with common sense. So, you know, in, in a game environment or an animation environment or product environment, it's you either have like props, objects, which is what scenes are made up of, and then you have characters, right? Um, so I think what you're going to start seeing more and more from us is not just assets, but you're going to start seeing these characters uh, in a world that's also AI generated. Uh, have common sense and what that means is like you're going to be able to talk to it it's going to be able to move its body expressions and it's going to have goals so those are the types of things that that we are also beginning to look at and you'll see some things come along that way the second thing is i think you know the product is self-serve so we have like many different ways to engage with the product i think one of the first ways we started was a discord community which is a we love our discord community i think and we have lots of ways that we're going to grow that so there are like free ways that you can get started with the product either through our web app discord community and then you know as you as you discover the product more and more and engage with the community 
you'll find like you know deeper and deeper capabilities in the product itself but you can go to cube.csm.ai or simply csm.ai and you'll be able to access both of these things love it Tejas, thank you so much for the time. Super fascinating stuff you guys are building and I can't wait to keep following along on the journey myself. So thank you for coming on the show and have a great upcoming weekend here. Thank you for all the wonderful questions. And uh, I think, you know, especially since you said a lot of the people are crypto people, I do feel like uh, crypto and generative models is like a, is actually like, it's going to be a, a very, very interesting and real uh, trend. So definitely. Yeah, I hope that people, yeah, I hope that people kind of jump in on this. So thank you so much for inviting. Me. Definitely. Okay. Take care. Yeah. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and maybe give us a good five-star rating and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts. So you can get all the latest conversations with the most interesting crypto founders, investors, and builders from across the world. Thanks so much. Have a good one.